1: Rutgers, nothing personal word of the day is Rutgers and it's a Samson sit down and we've got the 21st president in the history of Rutgers University. Jonathan Holloway has agreed to join us. I can't believe you even have a moment. So I want to start off by saying thank you. I'm glad you were able to join us. There's so much going on right now. I can't wait to get to it. How are you, Jonathan?
0: I'm fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: You have an R on your shirt.
0: I do. Yes, I do. I figure I how to come proper for this.
1: So, have you complete? What do you do? You were the dean at Yale College, then the provost at Northwestern. So you accrue. It's like when you work in sports, right? You work for many different <laughs> teams. Do you give away the old stuff, or do you keep one thing that says Yale Northwestern, or is it all secreted away?
0: Well, it, it's it, there's an evolution or it's it's an evolutionary process. So I start by saying I'm keeping all of it, and then I bring it with me, and then I'm like, wait, I can't wear this outside, and then it starts my color allegiance starts to change. and like, it feels awkward even to wear it in the house. So quietly, I, I find the right home for most of it. But I I, I have always kept a couple of key pieces uh, to, to carry with me.
1: So as part of your negotiation, making sure you had enough <laughs> swag from the beginning because you need shirts, you need gym shorts, you, and Rutgers, well, from Northwestern you may have, but you need sweatshirts, coats. What's yeah. like it? At- Presidential swag back when it comes to Rutgers.
0: Well, at the moment of my introduction to the public back in January, or the night before, I I, I gently asked the chair of the board of governors, like, so is it possible that you know, if appropriate, could could there be a few um, goodies brought for me and my family? And here are the sizes, just in case. And then at the reception following my introduction, uh, the the um, uh, athletic director rolled up with four duffel bags <laughs> of goods that became um, quite popular with the whole family. Very appreciated. And you
1: need luggage, right? Do you have a briefcase? Yes. <laughs> as records are for when you travel, right? You you have to have it all.
0: Well, I actually don't have the backpack. I, I uh, had been using a literally been using a backpack my entire career, you know, a series of backpacks. And then about a few months ago, I said, you know, Jonathan, it's time to grow up. Get yourself a proper briefcase. And so that's what I did.
1: did. you go lawyer? Lawyer briefcase?
0: No, a little bit of academic aspect to it. Not, not full on Brooklyn messenger bike kind of, you know, hipster. That's just not me. Not the, no snaps. There are no snaps on it. There is an inconvenient strap and a buckle, which seems appropriate for an academic.
1: By the it way, can't
0: be, it can't be easy.
1: The over under is six months. Because that buckle <laughs> you're gonna be trying to go to a meeting, you're not gonna be able to unbuckle your bag and you're gonna leave it and you're gonna to have to do better. I'm just gonna say a zipper will be in your possession <laughs>
0: in six months. Maybe Velcro, who knows?
1: <laughs> so we're trying to joke around. Jonathan and I could spend hours on the phone and we have talking about life and, and joking around, but there's something going on that is not funny. You started, you were named in January. Your official first day was in July, forgetting how you could be possibly the provost of Northwestern and the incoming president at Rutgers. But you came in and what I said to you the last time we spoke, it's the hardest landing of any president in my mind in the history of college universities. It, forget the fact that you're the first African-American president in Rutgers history, yeah. which and that's, by the way, your life in terms of that is your um, Bellywick, you—you are the preeminent historian. I mean, this is you. You come in. You're dealing with COVID right off the bat, which has never happened. You know, since the Spanish flu. When was mm-hmm. when did Rutgers start? What's the first six, year?
0: Six, seventeen sixty six.
1: Okay, so Rutgers lived through the Spanish flu. So, in theory, there was a president of Rutgers who had to deal with the Spanish flu. Yes. But yeah. Not since then. You're dealing with a level of social unrest. We saw it at Yale when you were there and that Mm -hmm. was sort of, it's gone on for hundreds of years, which is why you are president of Rutgers because you write on this and you are obviously in the top, you're on the Mount Rushmore in the field of, of this, but you're now the president and you Mm -hmm. have to deal right now with these issues on campus. So I just need to know what, tell me what happened your first day. How did you decide to prioritize what to deal with day one.
0: Well, day one for me is July one, but it's also January 20th when I was announced, right? So things shifted at that moment. Um, I will confess that I felt sorry when, when COVID really became an American phenomenon and started to land on campuses and we start to see the financial impact of it. I'll confess I felt sorry for myself for about a day all these things I was going to be doing all the resources coming in, so on and so forth, gone. There's just, there, you know, there's no, there there isn't money to do those things for at least a couple of years. And uh, so I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, it's not personal. This is happening to every new president. Just get over yourself. Fine. And then I saw the resolve that people at Rutgers were bringing to this. I mean, they were in the, remember I'm in Chicago at that time. They were in the heart of it, uh, of, the, of the coronavirus um, disaster. So they had a level of maturity to it as compared to what we were experiencing in Chicago. So we were just trying to, still trying to figure it out, but they were, they were living it. So I was motivated um, or inspired by their resolve and resilience. That was great, okay. Then all this public attention way too late in terms of American history, but at least it's arriving and, and it's horrible that it's arriving in the way it did for all this, this moment of racial reckoning. And there I actually felt, um, I wanna say this very carefully, not reassured, cause that's really, I don't wanna minimize the, the nightmare that's, that's driving this moment of reckoning. But at that moment, I, I felt like, wait a second, this I know about, you know, I, I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't work in public health. I can't tell you the the. I have to rely on the experts for how we're going to deal with coronavirus and all of its, you know, the financial aspects. aspects of deal with the CFOs, rely on them to how to how to respond to this. But this, thinking about um, race and citizenship and the state and belonging, like this is the stuff I write about. So for me, I felt all of a sudden that my uh, sense of resolve and and almost purpose that wasn't there before. Like I was excited to come to Rutgers and be a part of trying to elevate Rutgers to a new space. But knowing that people are gonna have questions dealing with race and belonging and citizenship, and that I actually have kind of, a I don't wanna say unique, but a special set of skills on this topic. I just felt like this is a special moment for me and for Rutgers together. So, so when it came to the first day, I had to acknowledge the incredible challenges that Rutgers community had experienced with COVID. I had to uh, also acknowledge this moment of racial reckoning, and then I had to use these events. This is not the presidency I expected to inherit. Use these event, use these events to say, "Look, there's some values that we need to be reminded of in this kind of moment, like shared sacrifice, for example." There are some principles about that, that we need to be talking about that, you know, and actually said literally out loud that social ju- the phrase of social justice and Black Lives Matter are not an assault on the common good. We need to understand them as, as pleas for us to live up by our national ideals from the founding. And, you know, people are raising their voice this way because they haven't been heard. So we have a duty to do this kind of work. And for me, I felt liberated that I can actually talk about these things. So those things are right from the beginning, and um, and I have been unafraid to talk about these things uh, since then. I feel like I've got a great platform.
1: So I was going to just use the word platform because when you're the dean at Yale College and then the provost at Northwestern, now you're the president. I mean, you are you're in charge. There's yes. no one above you. I mean, we can talk about a board of governors and and dealing with that aspect of it, but the fact is, you are the forward facing man of Rutgers. Yes. So you have this feeling that not just that you were prepared for it, but you could actually take advantage of the platform and effectuate change in a way that maybe you felt in your previous stops, even as a as a professor and, and a, a published author and the high positions you had at the other schools. Did you actually say to yourself, wow, and again, I am not trying to lessen the impact of the social reckoning and what's, what's going on, mm-hmm. but Mm-hmm. You say to yourself, this actually has a chance to benefit the, the goals that I've always wanted, the changes I've always wanted to see in the United States, because I'm now the president of a university like Rutgers. Did you think that way? Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, no, I mean, yes. I mean, am I, you know, as, as, look, as, as citizens over the last few months, as we're watching all of these protests um, happen around the world, literally around the world, we were all saying we've never seen something like this before and you know i'm a historian who, who has a little bit of heightened awareness of, awareness of all these these previous phenomena this is new this the scale of this response the shape and texture of it we can think about why it's why it's taken this shape or not but it's almost a material it's new and this is a precious opportunity and if we blow this opportunity uh, lord help us i don't know what it's going to take to move towards a more socially just version of this of our own country So I take that moment, this moment and its opportunity very seriously. And if I can't, I mean, yes, I speak up through my scholarship. I speak up in the talks that I give to other academics. You know, I, I, I may speak up in certain ways when I'm giving talks to like local school kids or something like that, but, and then in my previous positions. But if I can't use this platform, at a university that is humongous and with a very large profile, especially in the state of New Jersey, I mean, it is a monster in the state of New Jersey, then I, then shame on me, frankly. You know, I, I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror if I don't take this opportunity to, to um, try to assert a set of values that are, that everybody should be aspiring for. I mean, this is not, for me, this is not, a left politics or a right politics. This is about civility, decency uh, and respect for the ideals for which this country is supposed to stand. I mean, it's like, it's almost old fashioned, to be
1: honest. So we were talking about the beginning of your presidency. I want to segue to, to a part of Rutgers that may be a little different than what you had at Yale at Northwestern. But I want to be clear that I love Yale, I love Northwestern, and I love Rutgers. But I think it's safe to say that Rutgers Athletics has a different platform, has a different visibility in the country than Northwestern at Yale. Are you, yes. are you at least willing to admit that?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: So when you're the president, something that's going on right now, not even COVID-related, people may not know as president of a university – a lot of it is not very glamorous. There's some great glamorous stuff. You get free stuff. People, you know, generally genuflect in your direction. So there's a lot of cool things, but you have to deal with budgets. You have to deal with fundraising and you have to deal with realities that many people aren't focused on because they're living in their own bubble. You have to take a much macro, much more macro view than you've ever had to. As a matter of fact, as Dean, you, in my mind, you're very student facing as provost, in my mind, you're more faculty facing as president, you're going to be swirling around because you're facing everyone at all times. So talk to me a little bit about the fight that's going on at Rutgers and every university as you figure out your athletic department and what to do with the reality that revenues could be down. You've seen what happened. How about your alma mater, which I want to give a shout out to. You were Were you the star of Stanford football team? Like,
0: <laughs> I, I was such a star. I've gone beyond the record books and the history books. I don't even exist.
1: So, so Jonathan Holloway, President Holloway, I have to call you Mr. President now, by the way.
0: I'd appreciate I, I'd it. I'd be respectful you. of you.
1: Okay, so Mr. <laughs> President, you played four years at Stanford, which is not a schlepper school to play football, right? I mean, this means you were really good. But I did some research And for whatever reason, I, they must've misspelled your name on Google, but I couldn't find you in any box scores. I didn't, I I didn't know what position or what games you played in, but I gave you the benefit of the doubt because I love you that you were a four year star at Stanford. So you have experience. They had to cut some of their sports, 11 out of 30 disappeared at Stanford. What's going on at Rutgers, and how, as a first-year president, do you even begin to deal with the reality that is Rutgers Athletics?
0: Yeah, it's an excellent, uh, excellent and very fair question. I mean, I was, as a Stanford alum I, and, and former varsity football practicer, um, <laughs> it was shocking to see them, them cut almost a third of their sports. I mean, this is, by almost any measure, the most successful college athletics program in the country certainly by the measurement of their national championships that they won over time and the director's cup or the sears cup whatever it's called i think it's called the director's cup now so they cut 11 sports so that's a shocker and that speaks to a whole bunch of financial um, pressures uh, that have been um, exacerbated by covid but we're there already um, even at a place as wealthy as Stanford so at Rutgers um, you know, we're proud members of the Big Ten. I'm very happy to be part of that athletic conference and academic um, alliance, which is frankly, to me, the more important part of this Big Ten membership is the academic um, access that we get as part of, uh, of being part of that alliance. Um, so yeah, we are in the Big Ten, uh, depending on the support and, you know, people pay most attention to uh, football and men's basketball. If you think of just those two sports, um in ruck ruckers has been um uh, people were looking would look forward to playing ruckers in football because they, they can think of a w in their column already um with the return of greg sciano i i suspect that will be changing in a couple of years time men's basketball was sort of an afterthought until in, in, steve pico came along and turned that sport around that and And I mean, this is one of the sad things for Rutgers, the best men's season in 40 years. And they were likely gonna get invited to the dance and everything just went up in smoke. Now, women's basketball at Rutgers has been very good for a very long time, so that's exciting. But anyway, so in the the Rutgers environment, one thing is very different from the way it was at Northwestern, certainly at Yale, is that the state of New Jersey is invested in a cultural, psychological, social way, and even financial, in athletics at Rutgers. Um, now, uh,
1: can you be more specific? Well, that any part of your budget? Do you get state funding for your athletic program?
0: No, no. The funding goes. The funding is to the university, and then it's up to me and my my financial team to allocate resources around. But in terms of. Um, Certainly, well, heck, I think back to a time at Northwestern. uh, If we had, people love playing Northwestern visiting teams because they would be able to get seats to the games because we couldn't put people in the stadium. You know, we just couldn't put enough in. At Rutgers, the community turns out. So there's an investment like at the individual level as just local citizens wanting to be part of, of Rutgers, especially when it's been successful athletically. Um, and, you know, they were filling up our, our indoor basketball arena this past fall uh, as the men went on their tear. Um, the, the, when I talk about the state being involved, when it came time to search for a new football coach and the rumor was that Chiano might be, you know, available, um, I wasn't involved in the negotiations. But what I understand, understood when I was just, a, I don't think I even applied yet for the job, is that um, Rumor had it that there was a lot of state pressure in terms of elected official pressures to, you got to get Chiano back, you know, a, a guy who took us to the greatest heights we've ever had. Um, nothing else gathers up enthusiasm within the state, like a successful football season. So in, in these kinds of what I'll call soft politics way, the state was getting involved. Like we've got to get Chiano back. That's fine. No, I mean, there, that were that rumors,
1: there were rumors that there were actually people involved in the negotiations Back. This is before you started, and I was thinking, yeah. President, that that's a tough thing if you're dealing with. I've I've negotiated with plenty of managers, and uh, you're going to be in that process now. I don't know if you've done that at the, your previous stops. I would think you have not negotiated with head coaches, but you may have. But uh, when you've got other people involved, and there may be some arm twisting because he was signed to a large deal that you inherited. That you're that's now. Right. I think you're in year one or year two of a significant deal that there's, there's really nothing you can do about. I'm, I was just thinking that you have to, you'd have to go back to those officials if you wanted to make a change. And you may not under the rule of law have to go back, but practically to be an inclusive president, they're going to be involved. That's actually going to be hard, Jonathan, going forward, walking that tie rope.
0: It will be hard, but I, you know, it is my hope that um, success will bring more success, and so that the next negotiations, when they happen, will be positive and happy ones, even though they'll be tough at different moments, of course. But the, um, yeah, I heard the same rumors about uh, officials getting involved, but I've, I've not investigated it. What's done is done, and here I am. The challenge, though, of course, is in the world of um, college athletics, there are a handful of sports where salaries are, where the market is surreal, frankly. And, um, and men's football, football is one of those areas. And uh, <clears throat> Shiano's getting paid sort of around the median of Big Ten coaches' salary. So as far as the conference is concerned, the salary is reasonable in that, in that orbit. Um, but, when you, but when I received these letters of congratulations, welcome to the community, emails and such, um, the one issue, if there were, if people wrote, offered a discordant note, in any of those messages, it was always about athletics. So there is there is absolutely still a culture at Rutgers from, these people are all from the faculty as, as I recall. Um, at least some faculty are really opposed to Rutgers moving to the big 10, um, which happened a good long time ago now, but they're still unhappy about it. They see it as a drain on resources, et cetera. And look, athletics is a very easy target in, in the world of major, uh, in, in, uh, major college athletics. Athletics is, a ma- is an easy target, especially when, when you're underperforming. And Rutgers has underperformed in football for a very long time. And you know better than I, it's been a place of incredible controversy with, with basketball, with athletic direct, men's basketball, for the athletic directors and such. So I'm looking for an athletics department that is steady, that is calm, that has um, a, a real integrity. That the coaches are on board with these sort of core values about, you know, we are going to have athletes here who are actually students, and um, and we our job is to make sure they leave here with a degree or are available to get that degree if they leave and go pro earlier. And you know, it sort of feels to me that um, Pat Hobbs, or AD, has really hired the right kinds of people. Uh, with who share that mission. So I'm feeling pretty good about, I'm feeling very good about athletics. Um, what,
1: what are you doing about the budget issues? I mean, what happens if there's no football, this, yeah. which, you know, I want to talk to you about that because it's the 800 pound elephant in the, in this room and in this zoom room right now, we're due to have college football now. And if you don't have students on campus or they're on campus in a different way or classes are online, I don't understand how there will be college football. And because they're not paid, they're student yes. And yep. so you will then be forced to make decisions because your budget is going to get decimated like Stanford's, like other schools. So I assume you're, happy, you're planning for that, aren't you?
0: Uh, we're doing our best. I mean, one of the challenges that that is new to me as compared to having been at private universities for the last 22 years is as a state school, a significant portion of our budget I wish it were a larger portion of our budget, but a significant portion is coming from the state. And uh, while we have been fortunate to get some, uh, um, uh, well, our fourth quarter appropriation was axed. I mean, all all higher ed in same Jersey suffered that same fate. And that was a tremendous hole that opened up. And we got some of that restored, less than we would have liked, of course, but we're still facing $160 million, projected $160 million, Deficit for the coming fiscal year, uh, for well, the year that we just started, um, that's terrifying. And the, uh, but, but I don't know if that's actually going to be the case. In, uh, in the sense that um, the governor just signed, or is signing today, I know it just passed the legislature, uh, a close to a ten billion dollar um, bond agreement, um, and so it may well be that a lot of our budget that we lost will be, a significant part will be restored. Um, Now, that doesn't solve the question of what if there's no football in the fall, or hopefully there's some in the spring, if not in the fall, but that doesn't answer the questions of the lost revenue because only 70% of us, only 30% of our students will be on campus. So we have a structural problem going forward for the next year, um, that we don't yet have the answer to because we don't yet know what our base is um, um, from the from the state government. Hopefully, it'll be generous. Um, but it's going to be hard. It, it just is. And
1: um, so, so, President, you're yeah. saying that you're not able to budget yet and figure out where to cut because you don't know your base because you don't know your allocation from the state. Does this not put you at a big advantage, At big disadvantage because as you move forward into your fiscal year, there are things that all of a sudden you cannot cut. There are classes that are going on. There are professors. There are programs that you have to make an assumption somewhere, don't you?
0: Yeah. Well, we've made, we, you're exactly right. We've made assumptions, but we also know that this is an evolving conversation with the state government and how the funds are going to be dispersed. So there could be, and, and what makes this complicated is that Rutgers has 22 different labor unions. And so they are being asked to make sacrifices at the same time. But if we are declaring a financial emergency, which we have, it's a technical term within our labor management relationship. And the unions are seeing, wait, we just, the state just signed a $10 billion relief package. I mean, it's not that simple, but you know, why are you declaring financial emergency? So that complicates this as well, because- most of the co- most of our cost in a university is 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 human capital so salaries are a little bit over 60 percent of our total budget um and and the unions have negotiated uh, fairly for you know you know staged increases i'm looking at the arithmetic i'm like i don't know where to get that money from however if the state does deliver the money then we can adjust so it so this is what makes it difficult right now and and yeah we're at a disadvantage but that's that's the fact of it you know I.
1: What percentage of your budget is from fundraising?
0: Um, well, I don't know. I don't you know.
1: The but part of your job has to be fundraising. That's got to oh, yeah.
0: be yeah, and we're change, we're, we're, We are changing the expectations. I mean, not much. I mean, the, the, we raise about $250 million a year. But as you know, that money goes in lots of different directions. Some goes to endowment. Some goes to X, Y, and Z. So how much of that is actually available in cash? I mean, it's a significantly smaller number. Our endowment is tiny for a place as big as we are. Our endowment's $1.4 billion, um, uh, for a, a community of 70,000 students, a community of 100,000 people. I mean, compared to um, Northwestern and Yale, this is pennies um, for a much larger population. But we've had the state as a, as a, a, a loyal donor, our biggest donor. Um, but we're looking at a major loss as uh, far as the donation um, Uh, from the state for the you know and my job now is to is to work as hard as can to raise money ideally cash uh one of the things i did on my very first day was launch a focused campaign that is um that is catered towards students of of greatest financial need um for emergency um, coverage and such and that we've actually already raised over a third of our goal within the first three weeks so we're actually moving really quickly i mean it's a 10 million dollar focused grant we're comfortably over $3 million. And I only announced it on July 1st and I'm only just beginning to solicit. So people are actually, the money is coming in from people excited about this to help out.
1: So I want to explain to our listeners and viewers. This will be on YouTube and also it's a podcast, Mr. President. I can't, I can't believe I'm calling you, Mr. President. I love it. I'm so. <laughs> but uh, the endowment, big arguments happen because people f- see a big endowment. Let's say Yale, thirty billion dollars, and and or Rutgers, one billion dollar. That which, by the way, one billion is not zero. So people who say who are working or who are paying tuition or who have jobs there. Why are you firing me? Why are you cutting our program or my salary? We can just just take money from the endowment. And I wanted to just explain that endowment money, when people give to a university, sometimes they give to finance a certain class in art history or they do it for to endow a professorship, a chair. Or they do it to give to your discretionary fund or they do it for a specific building to name a building, you know, where a dormitory. So it's not as though you can just take money from an endowment, but the interest that is generated, the investment income from an endowment is often used by these schools in order to help fill budget gaps. So the endowment has to keep growing. If you take from the endowment, think about it, if you're taking from your savings account and you live off the interest of $100 and the interest rate is 10%, you have $10 a year to live. If you take $20 out, you only have $80. And now the next year, your interest is only $8. So have you been criticized yet because it happened at your previous places? Has this argument started to hit your desk about use of endowment? Not so much
0: use of endowment, but we have a reserve fund, um, which uh, is, it's not like, I mean, endowment is there for perpetuity. It's there for, it will always be there. um, If it's managed the way it's supposed to be managed. But we do have a reserve fund that is say, I'm hiring you to come join as a professor of business. And as the way to hire you, I'm also gonna say, you know what, and we're gonna give you $50,000 as a startup research fund. And so, you know, when you arrive, you've got $50,000 a credit line basically that you can spend in in appropriate ways Um, but we have to be good for that so we have to set aside that fifty thousand dollars for x amount of time for you to have access to whenever you want it to so you build up a reserve to actually um make that happen so you can you can you have these promises to faculty and by the way fifty thousand dollars would be cheap i mean you set up a chemistry lab it's a million dollars um just from the start and that's on the low end so Um, Rutgers has a a several hundred million dollar reserve. Uh, I think it was actually a $400 million reserve for these purposes that people are saying, use that, it's not endowment. You know, it's, I'm simplifying, it's essentially cash to use that. Like, but we've made promises and it's also a rainy day fund. Well, it's raining, so time to use it. So we actually are dipping into that, taking out, um, I don't want to misquote, but a significant chunk of that reserve to deploy now. And that's the right thing to do. We've also had to make it clear, like once we spend this, it is gone forever. Like this will not replenish on its own. You know, this this functions quite differently than endowment in that regard. So yes, it's the right thing to do to spend the money now. We still have to be responsible to, we have to be good for our word or else we'll just lose faculty. Um, And also that money is not just for faculty, but for initiatives say a presidential initiative do something. Well, that goes away now. So, you know, we can't do this anymore because we're trying to take care of something in the present. That's just the trade offs that one has to do all the time in this kind of position. It's never easy.
1: Well, but you never could have anticipated the type of trade offs that you're trying to deal with and what you're trying to model at the moment when you were interviewing and decided to and got the opportunity to take this job, I don't think there was a chance that it was in your head. What financial no. position? Like it couldn't have been because this. No. Is no.
0: In fact, Rutgers was in you know was in great shape and was actually going to be be uh, coming in comfortably in the black. I mean, based on the projections, second maybe through the third quarter, uh, you know, our our hospital or medical so the cl- clinical practice was returning lots of money from, you know, elective procedures. So we're doing great.
1: And now we're not. You mentioned that there may be football in the spring. If you have any football players who may go pro, why would they ever play spring football? What would be in it for them?
0: Uh, You know, it's a very fair question. We have more questions than answers when we think about what a spring season, you know, it'd have to be a foreshortened season also. Um, I don't have the answer to that question. I mean, I really don't. Uh, it, It is looking harder and harder to envision Uh, fall season given all the things that we're seeing happening in the country this is why the big 10 has already gone conference only because we we know that we have a shared standard of testing i don't say that it's better or worse than other conferences but at least we know what we're doing
1: you know Um, you have that already do you have your protocol for testing and what you're doing within your conference
0: within within the big 10 yes
1: Yeah.
0: yeah um and well caveat we have the goal we have the shared goals i mean rutgers has you know easy access to all these saliva tests so we, we know what the protocol what we're going to be doing I can't tell you that Michigan just to pick a call you know a peer big Ten school has the same access to the same number of tests that we do on a daily basis that I, that I don't know
1: but wait but a minute protocols isn't that, are but isn't that the whole point if you're gonna to go to a conference by the way yes. you're not know a badger so you could have used Wisconsin yes. as the example but the whole point of staying within conference. Yes. It, that you have to have full confidence that they have the same availability you do, that they have the same protocol, that they're executing the same protocol. Otherwise what's the use of staying just in conference?
0: No, I understand that, but I'm also talking about conversations the presidents were having a month ago. So it's built, you know, we need to build up to these, these targets. That's a shared targets, I guess, maybe a better way to put it in terms of, so we can be confident about um, being in conference. But you know, these were conversations a month ago. I mean, think of all of these things that have changed just in the last two weeks in terms of um, the, the number of diagnoses that are happening all around the country. It's really quite, um, it's more than a little unsettling. So I don't know where we're gonna end up, but I do know that we are um, very soon running up against the, um, the on-off switch. We're either gonna do it or we're not gonna do it in terms of a fall season.
1: When is the off switch?
0: um, I'll just say soon, because I don't want to—I don't misquote myself in terms of what the date is.
1: Wait a minute! How could you misquote yourself if you're saying it to me? It's not misquoting. You're just saying I don't want to tell you. You're not going to misquote myself. You're saying I have a date and I'm not willing to give it to you.
0: You bring a—you bring a level of clarity that is unusual in the world of presidential conversations.
1: Is it soon? (laughs) Yes. Okay, so are you, involved, are you in the room where it happens as a first year? Are you the youngest tenured? I don't mean youngest in years. Are you the newest tenured president in the Big Ten?
0: No. Uh, so um, Daryl Pines at the University of Maryland is, had, was named shortly after I was named. And, um, oh, dear, gosh. I just
1: had a complete. It's a senior moment. You're old. It
0: is a senior moment. I can tell you all about her, but she's a new president at Ohio State. Um,
1: and she's new uh, as well. So there they're three new out of the yeah. big, isn't it like the big 14 now? Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I don't get that. It's not the big 10, <laughs> 14. I think you should rename your conference. So you all get together and you guys, by the way, Coco would like to just remind you it's Christina Johnson.
0: Just, Christina Johnson. I was, I knew Johnson. I was afraid of missing the first name. That's why I was, you know. Because so you said well.
1: President Johnson. And then I, I would have assumed you knew.
0: I, I missed that opportunity. I always learn when I talk with you always.
1: <laughs> so are you in the room where it happens in terms of the on off switch or is it at uh, the athletic director level?
0: No, 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 no. It's at the commissioner level talking with uh, what's called the council of Pre- uh, presidents and chancellors. And then, and then we pull in the athletic directors as well.
1: You inform them or to, or to have them participate
0: to be in partnership with them. So, you
1: know. (laughs) Hold
0: on. I cannot
1: let you get away with
0: that. It depends It depends on the institution. And I know how I work with Pat Hobbs at Rutgers. And I really, when I say partnership, I really mean that seriously. At the end of the day, it's my call. Um, But it's in partnership. I do not know how it works at other Big Ten schools as far as who has, um, I know who has the authority but I don't know how their relationship is with
1: their respective ADs. But is there going to be a vote? Is that really how this will happen, that there'll be a moment where a vote will be called thumbs up or thumbs down? Because does it have to be all or none, or could there be some schools who choose not to play and other of the Big 14 decide to play?
0: I'm assuming, and it's an assumption, it'll be all or none. Um, uh, That's the spirit of the conversations that we were having uh, uh, over the last month when we led with that led up to a conference only arrangement um you know depending on the school some of us were playing would play non-conference opponents where okay that's you know that's unfortunate but it's not a deep loss others of us were playing major major non-conference games um uh the kind of be that would be the game of the week on a network that's a that's a much more um that's a that's a considerable loss for those schools so so that was part of the conversation. But we, we fairly quickly got to um, Big Ten Conference only.
1: Was it unanimous? Because you guys were the leader. I mean, it started, it, you know, Ivy Leagues, we know what goes on with their decisions. But when you guys announced this uh, and other conferences have followed, but you're sort of leading, and which is what you do as a leader, was it a unanimous vote?
0: I actually think I'm literally not allowed to talk about the, the conversation. So, but Kevin Warren,
1: Kentucky, the commissioner, who's a wonderful person, Well, maybe we'll have him as a guest, but what's interesting to me is uh, as we think about what happens with that vote that's coming up, the on-off switch that you will not tell me when it is, is the on-off switch a switch? Because I'm thinking about all college sports. Do you have to do it for football only, or is this all fall sports where it's all or none?
0: Um. I guess that's two different switches. The conversation has largely been driven by football because of the financial stake of the television contracts that's i mean that is an enormous complication um and that has been the, the, the that is the part that we have to if we're going to stop, we have to stop first. The other sports are much easier they're much smaller they're much less complicated to navigate because i mean I mean you know from baseball it's not just the players on the field, there's a whole infrastructure behind it. And football is at just a massive scale. So it's, it's really football is what we're talking about right now. And then, um, and then we will proceed with the other sports as we can.
1: You, you agree, though, that you, if you don't have a freshman on campus uh, who's just a like me, a guy who would go to the uh, gym every few days yeah. and pick up basketball or throw a Nerf football around on the quad on Bascom Hill – you don't see a situation where you would decide to allow student athletes who play football where his friends aren't allowed on campus, but you're going to bring the football players on so they can play. Is that something that you would ever consider doing?
0: Um, no, if we, if we were fully remote and Rutgers is not, if we are significantly remote, but if we were fully remote, then we couldn't, we couldn't proceed with fall sports. You know, the university of Michigan president said the same thing quite a while ago, I think now, um, I think mean, that's exact, and he, he would not be the only one saying that. I just know that Mark Sussel was on the record saying that. Um, so, yeah, I quite agree with you.
1: So, you were you're a football player, president, scholar. I got to tell our audience that uh, you came to Miami one day, and I want to relive a moment with you <laughs> that was a, a moment that is in my brain forever. What is your memory of throwing out the first pitch at Marlins Park? Do you have any memories of that day?
0: I have many memories of that day, yes.
1: So how would you, can you describe, is that the only first pitch you've ever thrown?
0: It is. Yes. Well, well, maybe I, I, if I can avoid it, I'll be happy to do that. Um, You know, bad shoulder and all that stuff. Um, But no. So for, for the viewers and listeners, the backstory is this guy, David Sampson, who I'd never met walks up to me at a reception when I was the Dean of Yale college at Yale. And he was a Yale parent with a glint in his eye, which I now know to be nervous about, but I knew I no idea who this person was and says, didn't even say hello. He simply said, can you throw a ball 60 feet? I'm like, "What? what is, I mean, what? I'm like, sure I can. And he goes, great. Then he introduces himself and goes, so I'm inviting you throughout the first pitch. Now what he didn't know at the time, and I, and I, I blanched, so I'm like, oh no, 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 no. What he didn't know is that I had never thrown a baseball before. I grew up playing soccer. I'd thrown plenty of footballs. I'd under pitched, underhand thrown a softball, but I'd never thrown a baseball. I'd never been on a on a mound. And so the idea of doing that was terrifying. Well, it became I was told that I was gonna throw out the first pitch. <laughs> I mean, it was made clear that it was going to happen. And I um well, you the
1: baseball: to be fair, because as you've told me since in the years that we've known each other, you've never been approached in that way by someone who didn't know you. You've been approached in many ways, but I thought the direct approach was really <laughs> going to work. And it turns out it worked fantastically. But I had no idea. I figured that as a football player that you'd be able to throw a ball. But man, Mr. President, it was bad. It got there. It didn't bounce. It didn't bounce. Uh, nervousness. You have to understand. You are a man of great import, right? Great gravitas, and the <laughs> level of nervousness you had at Marlins Park, it oh was. My God. it's not like we had a sold-out house, by the way. There were like it was. It was like your closest friends and mine, and that, and and a few thousand other people. But you were nervous, and you've gone through. You had gone through so much in your life, and this yeah. made me nervous. I've never been able to understand that.
0: Well, well you know, I- we all have our different things, right? So, and I, I might have told you this before I trotted out to the mound that if this were sold out and you told me five minutes beforehand, hey, Holloway, get out there and give a lecture. I'd be like, all right, let's go. What do you want me to talk about? That would have been easy. But this, oh, my God, it was terrifying.
1: Well, you did a great job, but you will be throwing <laughs> out first pitches, maybe first footballs, maybe first lacrosse balls, because you're going to have to go to a lot of different athletic events. You've seen what, what presidents do. Yes. You're going to be very busy. Your calendar gets busy. I hope I get to see you soon. I just, I know we're, I'm two minutes past where I I asked you to stay with me and I really appreciate that you did this. It's uh, it's really fun to talk to you. Thank you so much. President. My pleasure.
0: You've reminded me though, but I pointed out I need to actually invest in getting uh, a Rutgers sling so I can actually wear that when I go to events and say, I'm sorry. It's the, it's the, I just can't, you know, I just can't do it. Bad Uh shoulder.
1: No, you, you are not allowed to do that. Your days of excuse-making are over. You can't go with the special Rutgers sling. You're going to have to go with fundraising. You're going to have to go with first pitches, going to athletic events, wearing the swag, dealing with the COVID crisis, trying to figure out what hundreds of years has not been able to figure out in terms of systemic racism, and then it's going to be a Tuesday.
0: Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. I was about to say, that sounds like a Monday to me, but uh, yeah.